Welcome to the third annual virtual aquaponic cannabis conference. Please support these companies. They took the time to educate us during this conference. Presentation. Um, we have uh, Shannon Booth and Shannon, if it's possible for you to turn your video on so that you're, you're currently not displaying for the public. There you go. Um, uh, so uh, uh, we have uh, um, Chad Westport's going to moderate the, the chat for us today for the com uh, commercial panel. So I'm really excited about that. Thanks for joining us, Chad. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Um, glad you invited me here to do a little bit of moderation at the third annual Aquaponics Cannabis Conference. Uh, we got some awesome speakers lined up, panel members here already in the house, so kind of all ready to go right on time. Good job on arranging that, Steve, and everybody showing up. Uh, I think for maybe kind of the first you know, 10, 15 minutes, we'll go around and just kind of introduce ourselves, uh, maybe for people who aren't familiar, let people know where you are, kind of what you've been doing. And then you know, later we'll get into the cool things like system design and what kind of fish you're using and any tips or tricks. But, you know, I think it'd be a good place uh, to start by just introducing ourselves. So, you know, I guess, Steve, you're oh, probably... You're, you're familiar here, uh, but why don't you start off with the introduction, set the pace for everybody on the panel. Sure. So um, my name is Steven Reisner. I'm a commercial consultant and operator of currently of a large facility in Thailand. Um, our whole flowering portion of the facility is going to be all aquaponics, and eventually we'll be converting the, the veg portion over as well. Um, it's just easier to do new design greenhouses from scratch uh, when you can just put everything where it needs to go. Uh, which anyone who's built a facility knows it's a hell of a lot easier than retrofitting one. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, I've been doing this on the legal side of things since uh, 2013, since I started with the aquaponic source in their aquaponic cannabis program. And then I started my own company uh, in 2016, um, doing consulting all over the planet. Um, uh, what about you there, uh, Tanner Stewart? Uh, why don't you introduce yourself next? Well, thank you. Thank you, Steve. Uh, so Tanner Stewart here, uh, CEO and founder of Stewart Farms. I started my aquaponic technology journey about eight years ago or more now, going on, getting closer to nine and a half, actually, I think. And it was in vertical farming of leafy greens. I was focused on food for a solid three years using nutrient film technique. We were using the same Black Nile tilapia genetic that I'm using today to grow cannabis at Stewart Farms. But at my time in that first operation, we learned a lot of things not to do and to do in controlled environment agriculture as a whole and aquaponics as a whole. That was a closed loop, fully coupled system, which means the fish water continually flew, flow, would cycle into the grow racks and then straight back into the fish. So we were always balancing uh, the uh, water from the fish system into the plant system in a continuous flow. And today at Stewart Farms, the company I operate now, we, well, we started in 2018. I've been focused on cannabis and aquaponics for the last five years. We use a living soil grow medium. We have the same Black Nile tilapia genetic. We have a small research fish farm on site, and we use the fish effluent 
to supplement the living soils. There was no soil in when I was doing leafy greens. That was pure fish water, 100% rock wall, nothing else. It was the fish system and, and no, no additional grow medium. With Stewart Farms, it's a completely decoupled system. We, we are doing uh, our main pillar of research in the aquaponics world is focused on uh, plant growth, promoting microbes. So we're doing uh, microbial research on the fish water and the soil. And if you were here 10 minutes, five minutes ago, uh, you just heard about the research we do there. So that's me. Awesome. And I'll just go here with the, the order I see on the screen here. Uh, Brandon, thank you for joining the panel today. Would you mind... Uh filling everybody in on kind of who you are and what you've been doing? Sure. Uh, thanks. First of all, thanks for having me on as a guest speaker. I always enjoy coming on here and talking uh, to like-minded individuals. Uh, my name is Brandon Rust. Uh, I have been cultivating cannabis uh, since around, I think, like 2002, 2001, 2002. Um learned from some OGs, did multiple spots indoor for a really long time. Uh, 2014 or so, I switched all to organics and I had to kind of relearn all my methods of growing. Um, I started Bokashi Earthworks, I think in like 2017. And because I was using, you know, Bokashi in my soils. Uh, I own Bokashi Earthworks and we manufacture uh, soil that's agronomically uh, balanced to meet the specific nutritional needs for cannabis. <clears throat> we manufacture uh, micro, uh, microbial consortiums that aid in nutrient cycling and pathogen suppression. Uh, we distribute humate fertilizers that were developed by NASA Agricultural Technologies and uh, we also, you know, uh, do green waste recycling uh, to, for the production of biofertilizers as well. And we're working on some government grants and stuff like that right now. Um, so that's a little bit about what we do. We're into, you know, uh, organic agriculture. And, um, you know, I also work as an agricultural consultant. Uh, I can't tell you how many people I work with because... There's a lot of people, but I work with some really large farms. I work with one of the largest farms, the largest farm in the state of Hawaii. Uh, I work with a few dozen farms out here in Oklahoma. I work with people in Mississippi, New York, New Jersey, uh, Michigan. I'm all over the place. That's very awesome, man. It's exciting to see, too. Um, all right. We'll go over here to Mr. Uh, Bain Howard. How are you doing today? Thanks for joining the panel. Oh, I'm doing very well. Uh, thanks for asking, and thank y'all very much for having me. It's always a <laughs> pleasure to take part in these events. It's such a opportunity to get together and share knowledge, and there's so many uh, very knowledgeable people who have been speaking today and will speak tomorrow. I'm uh, just happy to be a part of it, so thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Bain Howard. I'm the head cultivator at Vertica Farms. Uh, that's just like vertical, but without the L, uh, we are a aquaponic cannabis facility uh, operating under a medical license here in Oklahoma. So I actually got my background, uh, got started doing aquaponics and veggies uh, down in Texas where I did uh, deep water culture aquaponics and did a little CSA doing basket deliveries with vegetables. 
kind of graduated from that to large-scale certified organic aquaponics. And then when Oklahoma decided to go ahead and legalize, moved up here a few years ago. And uh, I've done quite a few things here in Oklahoma, including, uh, you know, full build-out of greenhouses and aquaponics systems. And then now I, I operate a facility uh, here in Oklahoma. So that's what keeps me busy from day to day. That's awesome. And it sounds like it's a great place to be. Um, you know, if, if you have the passion, the drive and a little bit of funding, you can make a lot happen for yourself. So it's always, always exciting to see. Um, and all right, we're going across here. And I apologize, we have not met yet. But uh, Dean Maitland, uh, how are you doing today? Maybe you can introduce yourself to me and the rest of the uh, the conference, who I'm, I'm sure is already great. familiar <laughs> yeah, I, I just gave a talk, so hopefully a few people know. Um, the uh, So my name is Danielle Maitland, uh, and I'm the Director of Science and Cultivation Technology at Aqualitas Inc. Uh, so I'm uh, sort of heading our R&D and certifications and uh, and uh, funding applications are sort of, that's my my area of, uh, of expertise. And uh, we grow cannabis and koi. Uh, combined with living soil and uh, we have distribution all the way across Canada. We have a great medical platform and uh, we sell all sorts of stuff. Uh, and we also partner with, with other growers and sell some of their stuff on our platforms as well. And uh, we're in the, the lovely South Shore of Nova Scotia. And that is an individual talent that is so important and necessary. I come from an audio engineering background. Um, I always say you need the artist and the artist needs a manager because to write these types of contracts and funding, uh, you can't understand everything. It's so complex. So very awesome. Uh, and, and moving down here to the bottom row here, top of our hearts, though, we've got Shannon Booth. How are you doing today, Shannon? Hi there. Thank you for having me this evening. My name is Shannon Booth. I'm Head of Cultivation at Sweetwater's Aquaponics in the Eastern Cape in South Africa. Um, we are also a licensed medical facility. We are the only licensed aquaponic um, cannabis facility in Africa currently. So that's quite a proud uh, statement and hopefully leading the way in aquaponics, um, obviously in cannabis. Um, and I'd like to also educate the young um, black community in South Africa as well into the future of farming through aquaponics, not only with cannabis food as well. Um, <clears throat> we have offtake to, to America, I mean not to America, sorry, to Australia with, with our cannabis and um, we're very happy to be here. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And, you know, you hit an important aspect, you know, right there on the head. It's not just always about cannabis. Um, a lot of this stuff is about growing good, healthy food, especially in areas where there may be food scarcity. So, yes, these are all tools and things that we can apply in other areas of life that are pretty important to us as well. Uh, and we've got the, the last one. I'm not sure, Wes, are you still with us or are you uh, just RIPing prohibition over there? Um, so Wes is just here as like a backup internet connection in case mine drops out. It keeps the everything rolling. All right. So what you're saying is I shouldn't talk to the mannequin because it's never going to talk back. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, let's well, move I on. I could talk back if you want me to, but I, I figure uh, there's far better people here on the panel. I'm just going to sit back and listen and enjoy. So 
<laughs> well, fair enough, Wes. Fair enough. Uh, you know, one, one thing that I'd love to dive into here is just system design. You know, a lot of what you guys are doing uh, is probably one of the areas I know the least about when it comes to growing. So this is fun for me. And it all starts with a good design. So when setting up your system, maybe we could kind of go through some of the choices that you made, whether it was dictated by weather, whether it was dictated by the footprint of the space that you had. Um, these types of things are all considerations that one needs to look at, especially, you know, if you are moving into a building and retrofitting a building. So uh, maybe we could start uh, up here with Stuart Farms. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about your system design and if you've managed to find some more efficiencies through time with that. Yeah. Well, with any aquaponics farmer, the largest system design decision you're always going to make is how many fish am I putting in this thing? What are my fish for? And what's my goal with my fish? And if the answer is I want a commercially, commercially viable fish business, well, then you're probably aiming for a fairly significantly sized fish farm. And that's a expensive undertaking and you're going to need a lot more floor space. If the fish, like in our case, are truly just for a nutrient source for now, and I'm not saying don't aim to have a commercially viable fish business. I'm just saying what the differences are. We have a very small footprint for our fish room. We're using our fish farm exclusively uh, for research purposes into the microbiome. And we decided that we didn't want any compromise between the fish system and the plant system. So the fish farm is its own completely separate room. It's not plugged into the irrigation system whatsoever. The fish system does its thing. We take the nutrients from the fish system. We bring it to the plants and there's no compromise between the plant life and the fish life. So I recommend a decoupled system in general from personal experience, his historically growing leafy greens where I made sacrifices between pH of the water for the fish and pH for the water of the, of the plants. So I think coupled or decoupled. So am I cycling the water in real time back and forth between these systems or not? That's a major design decision. I'm sure there's other opinions uh, on on here of which route to go or not. Uh, so yeah, really, the it's fish, 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 man. I, I mean, you're going to make more water, <laughs> you know. And I continually get this question, you know. Well, if you take where the fish room is and you put weed in there, will you make more money with the weed room? Well, yeah, you will. You'll have all the weed in that room and you'll sell the weed for weed price. <laughs> but then you got no fish. You don't have that special on-site tea factory or fertilizer factory. So, so you know, the the as an aquaponics farmer, it starts with the fish and design. That's 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 my two cents. Yeah, I've seen I've seen uh where people move into a neighborhood and then they get rid of the charm and then they wonder what happened. So, yeah, you can grow the weed, but you're cutting off your nose to despite the face. Uh, Bain, uh, you you said you know you had started up here in Oklahoma. What was that like as far as your system design? Was it retrofitting? Was it blank slate? How did that work for you? 
So I've actually been fortunate enough to take part in both kinds of projects. Uh, currently, right now, I'm involved in a place where the farm was already existing. It was a, a lettuce farm and elderberry farm for many years before the owners decided to sell out. We acquired the place and then converted it over to uh, cannabis production. I've also done from the ground up, you know, show up at the at the cow farm with a set of, I might say, excellently done blueprints and designs uh, and start digging and, and go after it. Uh, so obviously with those are two wildly different animals. Uh, you approach them each differently. Uh, I'd say some of the major considerations, if you are fortunate enough to come at it, blank slate or even just like the shell of an old building uh, are things like what's the foundation made out of and how, how deep can you go uh, access to reliable utilities, uh, and mostly in the forms of uh, three-phase electricity, or you can get by with less or, or set up solar or something like that. Uh, those kind of considerations are super important when looking at a new facility. Now, if uh, you're just playing with the cards that are dealt to you and you walk into a new place, obviously the, the foundation that you're starting from in terms of the system that's there and in place is your, is your number one determining factor. It's not always economically viable to gut everything the last guy was doing and come in with brand new stuff and, and start from scratch, uh, as much as I'm sure a lot of people here would like to do that, myself included in some cases, because stuff can get pretty messed up. Uh, that's not always possible. So really finding ways that you can make the most impact, I'd say for the least, uh, amount of investment is kind of where you want to start uh, your considerations when when taking someplace over. Really good advice there, because um, at the end of the day, we all have our dream list, and then we have our budget. So they have to meet somewhere in the middle. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a fight we struggle with all the time. <laughs> yes, yes, and and you know one thing, Brandon, uh, that I see you do is you travel to a lot of places. So maybe what are some of the challenges in system design uh, in the various places that you've been to? Because you kind of have to be a jack of all trades, uh, work with what you have, it seems like. Oh, you're on mute, Brandon. Depending on which phase I'm called into, uh, if it's someone that is coming to me saying, hey, we want to set up a facility, we want to you know, talk to you about your methods, your soil, what the protocols look like, what you can offer us, or if it's me going in there and saving somebody's farm. I'm going in there just to do like a, to like go in there and save something or fix things. You oftentimes have to work with uh, what's there. You have to usually work within what their budget parameters are. Um, and so, you know, depending on what needs to be done. Um, it's just like when you're a home grower, you have to figure it out. You know, me personally, I'm not a contractor. And so when it comes to facility design, I tell them what exactly they need, but I have people that do that. I have contractors and people who do uh, fertigation systems. I have people who do that HVAC systems. That way, I don't have to worry so much about the facility design. I work with the same exact people over and over and over because they're one people that use the systems that um, 
that we're building. And so they're familiar with them. And then also it takes the stress off of me of trying to have to communicate with all these different clients to do build outs. So I can kind of almost subcontract these uh, aspects out. That way I can focus on what I do best, which is making sure that the soil is, is proper, making sure that the, they have the right fertigation plans, helping them with their integrated pest management protocols, and just kind of, you know, getting people situated uh, with the soil agronomy aspect that ties into like the biological crop steering and using the different biology at different times for different purposes. So that's what I like to do best is show people how to use the science and how to apply it in these systems and then how to uh, continue to be successful <laughs> using data-driven cultivation, you know, that's based off of you know, lab data for soil, leaf tissue. If you want to do cultivar specific testing, you can do uh, sap analysis and tissue, te uh, you know, uh, tissue testing multiple times to like develop, you know, specific nutrient uh, requirements for, you know, specific cultivars. There are different aspects like that, that, you know, uh, that I like to focus on more. That's invaluable. Having those people who you can rely upon, um, they have the experience, the familiarity with the systems um, because there's a lot of things that we run into that are unanticipated, but when you have people that have worked with these systems many times, uh, that's a huge resource to have. So that's great that you're able to bring that to, to clients and to people, uh, yeah. kind of a all, all in one inclusive package, which is largely beneficial for many people. And it's one of the reasons why I like working with folks so much is because my, you know, my friends over there, like we can say, hey, this is what we want for room design. They build out light maps and everything, and they can have basically CAD design that you can just give to a customer and be like, here's basically your facility on paper. Here's what everything looks like. And it makes it so much simpler like that, you know? It, yeah, it does. And again, you, you, using the same people uh, and working with customers, you get to develop the knowledge and the language that kind of streamlines the process. That's another part of it, uh, finding common terminology, yeah. which, you know, is something that I'm, I'm big on and we'll probably explore I, some of that today as well. I have a really, really hard time in that department communicating with like tech people for like the business back end stuff. Like, I'm really incompetent in it, not because I can't do it, it's because I don't understand how to speak the language. Yeah, so, sometimes industries make up words so everybody can't do it. No, I'm just kind of joking there. Um, well, I, I guess maybe Danielle, you may have faced some different logistical challenges with system design. Um, what, what, I see you smiling there. So yes. Yeah. So what, what maybe have been some of the things that have come up in the system design process for you and where you're at? Well, just because you, I wasn't going to mention this, but just because you mentioned logistical issues, getting koi into the province of Ontario under a aquaculture license was a bit of a logistical nightmare. There's, there have been people who have had pet koi in ponds outdoors in this province for for decades and decades but the the paperwork to get it approved to get it from the 
air because we imported them of the original adults we imported from overseas getting them from the airport to the the holding facility and from the holding facility to our facility was a several year a year and a half long process and I, I came in in the middle of it so I was uh it was uh logistically not the not the funnest and that's why we ended up breeding our own on site is just now we don't have to do that again um but uh from a, a system design point of view the the things that there's three things about our system i really like not getting into anything proprietary but um we have excellent solids filtration which helps everything downstream from filters to pumps to to emitters to everything if you have really good solids removal that helps everything our biofilter is oversized which helps with any kind of it basically our ammonia is is perfect it, it we can double the amount of fish we have it'll stay perfect we could double the amount or triple the amount of food we put in it would still be you know it's a nice big biofilter and it, it that really helps and then uh remote alarms like a, a really good controls and alarming system. I, I could see I'm getting a thumbs up there because it, the fish system, it is a life support system. And I mean, koi are a very forgiving species um, for some things, but you know, it even then, if, if we had a, a, a catastrophic failure, it's 15, somebody has to get in the building in 15 minutes to, to you know, restart a pump or, to, you know, most, most of the, the critical stuff, you know, we can, we have a good generator, we have stuff you can flip back on remotely, but the fact that you have those alarms and you can check, you know, open up your laptop, check it and see which tank is having a problem exactly as soon as, or if it's just a false alarm, but um, even those are better, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, really good remote alarm system, big biofilter, great solids removal. Yeah, super, super important. And my goodness, I've I've stayed away from aquaponics just because it's uh you can make an error really quickly, but 15 minutes between success and not success, that makes me even more nervous. But uh it works well. <laughs> and then Shannon, uh I want to get down to you here. Now being in South Africa, um, I personally have not been there myself, um, but I've experienced with other growers around the world, different regions, accessibility to certain pieces of equipment uh, isn't always there. So what was it like doing the system design where you're at? Was it simple, you know, mail order catalog, everything you need, or did you have to become a little inventive with the system design down there? No, it was, it was actually pretty straightforward. Um, in, the, in the province that, that I'm situated in, there's an aquaponics academy run, run by an ex-Zimbabwean guy. Um, up in the next village up from, from us and that, that was just coincidence and I stumbled across aquaponics when I, when I came up to this province um, from the western province of Cape Town and I hadn't even heard about aquaponics and I stumbled across it and I ended up man running a, a little home system um, based on, on, on this, the same uh, chap's con uh, his, his, his components so it was a, it was a very small design of, of what I'm running now. So it was a, a very good learning curve for me. This little system, and I've never done aquaponics, so I was given a little manual, and with this manual, I, I basically taught myself. I had the fish, I had everything else, and uh, it was it was a wonderful experience. It was more like a hobbyist, thing. and um, and then I then I met my um, my initial partner, and that too was was a coincidence. 
And she said to me, what is aquaponics? And I explained to him what the process was and he was fascinated. And he said to me, well, can you do this commercially? Can you grow food commercially on, 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 on a large scale? And I said, well, it's, it's never been done in South Africa on, on, on a large scale, but I don't see, I don't see why not, because this is a, it's a modular system. So if you just grow in modules, it's very controllable. So I said, well, you know, if, if I'm feeling a bit bored and should, should we buy a piece of property and we, and we, we try this and try and make a, a small business from this. And I said, sure, I was enthusiastic about it. So he came up with, and he found a property in this little town, a little um, seaside town, and he, he, he purchased it and it was just indigenous bush with, with an old um, house that was broken down and, and a, a workshop basically. And we, we, we developed it from scratch and using the same, the same components that I'd learned from, we, we, we built this thing up. And we started off with, with one module and then two modules and we went to three modules, um, exactly um, copying and exactly the same as each other. And they all hold 20,000 liters of water. They all have um, four, four fish tanks, um, 1,500 liter fish tanks um, per module with, with a 5,000 liter sump and a 2,500 liter baffle sump. So we have two sumps, which I will explain how they work. Um, and then we also have um, six media beds. Um, also, they are one meter by 1.2 meters, and they're about 80 centimeters deep with bell siphons. And those, those media beds are filled with um, 19 millimeter broken up granite. And then we have deep water, which, which are fed from those, um, those media beds. And that they fed, that two media beds will feed into to deep waters. So you have enough nitrification from the two media beds to suffice those two, two deep water um, channels, that, canals that, you, that, you, that you're growing in. So it was, it was, it was developed purely for, for growing vegetables. And it was a copy and paste. And we just, that's, that's how we grew. And as we needed more vegetables, we, we added a module. And also a safe way of growing it for fun is if, 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 the system, if the system crashed, you still had the backup of all, of all the others. And, and each system ran, ran individually and you harvested from each system daily, your lettuce, your, your, your cucumbers, your tomatoes. And then in addition to, to, to the systems, we, we've added um, grow buckets, we call them Dutch buckets. And, we line those buckets up between the, the, the DWCs and in, in between those, those rows of buckets, we have a, a, an elevated stand with a, another bucket on top, which also has a bell siphon in it. And the water from the DWC gets taken out of a, a submersible pump in the DWC and taken up to the, to the pulsator. We call it a pulsator with the bucket with the, with, with the bell siphon and, and it works the same as a media bed on atmospheric pressure. And when the water goes down, it feeds 10 buckets on either side of it every 10 minutes or seven minutes it feeds in each 300 300 mils of water and it just runs over the and feeds and then goes and drains out the buckets at the basement and has a, a drain pipe back to the sun so it runs it runs in, in reticulation it's, it's a very very good system um obviously leaks are an issue we have grommets all over the place um and a lot of a lot of pipes and elbows and yard and also the one thing, I mean, the Dutch buckets are, are a huge addition to our systems because 
gives us so much more scope and, and grow area rather than just deep water and media beds. So we can we can actually create a lot more grow area from the nutrition we are getting from, from the fish into the volume of water we are running in that system because we're only running 20,000 liters of water per, per module. But that, that's, that's how the vegetable systems ran. So, and I've continued with that and I've had to, I've had to, I've had to change a lot of things the way that I, that I work with the systems with oxygenation and also nitrification. So cannabis requires a lot more uh, nutrition and, and, and minerals than, than the vegetables do. Mm -hmm. So we actually added four media beds extra to, to two of the modules to compare the, the, the growth rate. Okay, side by the side. Modules, yeah, side by side. So we doubled up the, the nitrification pretty much. And that certainly has made a huge difference to the plants. The plants are all growing beautifully. Even everything's everything's good. At, um, it's it's it, 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 we sort of tap dancing with biology. At the same time, working with with, with hydroxides. We don't use silicates yet. We're still working with hydroxides because that's that's what I've I've, I've learned to work with. I still need to merge over to silicates in aquaponics. But it, it works very well. I, I get beautiful grows. It's just, I've just had some issues. I've had a lot of issues. That it's, it's, I mean, aquaponics is very challenging as it is, but I've had a lot of issues, climatic issues and, and temperature issues that, that have set me back. But growing cannabis, it's, I think it's a lifelong learning curve, and especially remote in, in different climatic conditions. Everything changes. It's, it's that sensitive. The, the plant is that sensitive that it reacts to change well yeah and, so, and then on top of that you also have cultivars which are finicky in certain environments as well so that's always a kind of a constant process of finding exactly. what works best for you in in that yeah. environment but you know having the buckets addition, additional to to the deep water and the media beds and a lot of people only use the deep water in, in aquaponics and um, you know, I, I was saying earlier in my earlier interview that I, I use all of my media beds. I grow in my media beds where the nitrification takes place, even though it's very volatile. It's a, it's a very good source of nitrogen. It's, it's the most, it's, that's where the nitrogen is at its highest peak, is in the, in the media beds before they drain. So, I mean, when I was growing vegetables, I put my cucumbers there because that's where I got the highest nitrogen peak. And that's where, they, that's, that's where the cucumbers grew the utmost um, better than anything in, in any other part of the aquaponics. So, you can put different strains in media beds that react better to nitrogen. I mean, aquaponics is a very nitrogen-driven system. Generally, everything gets nitrogen, but at the end of the at the end of the of the line, those last plants always they, they must be in sufferance because we're taking nitrogen from the time it, it hits the deep water. We got a pump there taking to those buckets already. So mm. my, my my volume of fish is always high. It's, it's never over, but it's always it's always at its max. In order to in order to to, to keep up with them with, with the, um, the nutrition level required, and then we have um sorry. Oh no worries. I was just going to say, um, let's get to potent ponics here uh, real quick for the system design. He's probably uh, I'm most familiar with his work <laughs> and his his design work because I've seen it and we've talked about it. Um, and then yeah, Shannon, this is great stuff. I definitely I'm already like looking at the clock going, man, we're not even going to get to all of these. So uh, real quick, uh, potent ponics. I'd love to hear a little bit about your system design, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna lightning round you guys with with the with the good questions here. 
Sure. So um, we did a bunch of R&D at the aquaponics source with like everything from like sand beds, DWC, NFT, media beds. We did a bunch of work with different cocoa blends. Like we tried kind of all, all the different ways to kind of figure out how to match the, the nutrient values in the tissue. And we landed on either soil fed by aquaponics water, um, which is what some of the people on the panel here do, or um, doing a dual root zone method, which to me, I think is, gives kind of the best hybrid of both worlds. And the advantage to either one of those systems is that you can take whatever the hype cut is this month, drop it in there, dial the nutrients into what it wants, and, and, and immediately get that into mass production. Um, some of the other methods, I know a couple of people uh, uh, that have been uh, uh, that also do aquaponic cannabis and stuff like that, do DWC only and things like that. They have to do a lot more pheno hunting to actually find strains that are in that same, significantly more pheno hunting. And at the end of the day, if you can't immediately like drop in that hype cut to, to bulk it out or at least something recent that you to develop and have that immediate, a means to quickly jump into that market space that you need to fill it immediately, it's not, you know, to me, it's not the best system. Like you got to have something where you can quickly adapt to whatever the market wants. And if it can't do that, then then you got to do some more tinkering. Yeah, constant, constant progress or constant process of progress and figuring that out. And, and that's some of the questions, you know, I kind of want to get here too quickly. We've got a lot of awesome experience and knowledge up here on the panel. And I just looked at the looked at the schedule of the events for today and yeah we've we've got about 20 more minutes so i want to try to take advantage of this time um i've heard you know stewart farms you had mentioned tilapia um i know potent ponics you had worked with tilapia in the past danielle you had mentioned koi um and this is open to anybody is there a preferred fish or why do you go with one fish over the other uh is it scale is it environment what what is the kind of deciding factor on eh, i'm going to use goldfish not so much and that's open for anybody too i'll jump in real quick part of it in the united states comes down to um uh our, in the united states you can't get a meat processing license and a cannabis license federally it's a federal problem um the usda that the meat inspectors that would inspect the facility can't actually go into a cannabis facility currently until they fix that so um, that leads a lot of the producers to lean towards either, uh, you know, taking the fish and giving them to a third-party uh, meat processor that's nearby, uh, either live or fresh on ice, uh, or they'll take them and, um, and do a pet trade fish. Um, it's a lot cheaper, uh, significantly cheaper in the United States to get a pet trade license uh, than it is to get a meat processing license. You're looking at like $1,200 max for, in the United States for a pet trade license versus, you know, thousands of dollars for all the equipment and inspections and stuff for our meat processing. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add a little bit to that. Uh, uh, the genetics available for any particular fish in general, how stable are those fish genetics? So no different than, can than great cannabis, great genetic could equal great flower. Uh, in addition to that, salmonoids in general, although as a a uh, newbie aquaponics farmer, you might say, I want to throw some trout. I want to get some salmon. I want to get some of the, I want my favorite fish in there. Well, is the genetic available? And, and it's far more complicated to deal with the salmonoid and farm a cold water fish versus a warm water fish. Uh, Aquilitas runs, runs a carp and we run a, a, a tilapia. So they're obviously 
you know, uh, you'll get a beautiful carp in a pet store and, and, uh, you know, there's, there's rare carp that can be worth thousands of dollars. You know, you don't see a lot of those on a dinner plate, but they're both warm water fish that, uh, that have a different marketable purpose. The tilapia, I think our tilapia are beautiful. They're just not orange and white and, and, uh, uh, but you know, we can, we eat those. <laughs> so we eat our, we do eat our tilapia and, uh, you know, it's a little bit bittersweet when you're doing a harvest of your farmers that were helping you farm for the last 10 months. And, and it's more upsetting for some in the farm than it is for others. Uh, but there is a market purpose, uh, for, for that fish. So, so if you're a beginner, for sure, warm water fish. If you're if you're just looking for nutrient and you don't care about eating the fish, well, then a carp is a good option. There's just there's a whole bunch of variables that go into it. But my anchor point would be, you know, set yourself up for the least complicated thing possible. Set yourself up for success. No. Awesome. And you know, setting setting yourself up for success. Um, I mentioned cultivars just a second ago as well. And that's something, um, Brandon, that I think you have a lot of experience with is just kind of looking behind the curtain with a lot of these cultivars. Um, maybe what are a couple of the, you know, choices or checklists that you would go through kind of in in uh, an aquaponic setup or in your consulting work for what type of cultivars people should should be looking for or start with to narrow it down at least? For <clears throat> commercially viable cultivars, yes, yep. usually come with a specific set of parameters. Um, you know, having high numbers is one of them. Uh, you know, high THC, high terpene content. Uh, yield is obviously another one. Flowering time is an obvious one, especially if you're like, hey, every nine weeks we are harvesting. You don't want varieties that take 10, 11 weeks. They just will not make it. Um, and then depending on your area and what, what, uh, style of cultivation, if you're indoor, if you're greenhouse or outdoor, uh, the genetics really play, uh, heavily into how they'll actually perform from, uh, a biotic standpoint with the different environmental parameters. So that's really important to look at too. Very, very much so, uh, Kind of, you know, moving on to, um, and this is going to apply to everybody and it might take somebody a second. So I'm going to put you on the spot first, Potent Ponics. Um, one of the biggest things that you learned last year, uh, that's, you know, again, kind of crowdsourcing the experience is a great thing about cannabis and a wonderful thing about this conference because we all get to pull from everybody's years of experience and, you know, what you may have learned last year may save me a headache next year. So I kind of, I do kind of want to go around. What is the biggest thing that you learned in the last year? Uh, and again, Potent Ponics, we'll start with you on that one. I think as far as just day-to-day -day stuff, uh, switching to baskets for IMO collections, like hands down was, uh, we, we basically have, have much, much fewer failed collections now than we did with the boxes. That's probably my biggest takeaway. And, and are you going far out for these boxes or are these close to the farm? So we, uh, we put some on the farm and then we have right down the street from me, there's a, what used to be an old mango grove that's kind of overgrown and taken over by the, the jungle. Um, we put stuff out there and then we also have an old cemetery near us that's kind of overgrown with trees and orchids and put it over there as well. 
Cemetery, man. Uh, yes. People eat dead mushrooms. Mushrooms eat dead people. And <laughs> back to you. And with that, back to you, Danielle. Um, what what maybe is one of the uh, largest things that you learned or as a company learned uh, through the process last season? Um, from the, the research side, I think the most exciting thing was the... Um, that we could improve our phosphorus numbers with uh, better with different fish feed. Just you know, we can and the so the the improved nutrient profile and kind of more targeted nutrient profile with the different fish feed was really cool. That then I'm horribly biased because my me getting a PhD hinges on that research. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, that's probably a little bit biased. And the other thing we we collect a ton of data. Um, and I, I, I do, when I have the time, I'll go back through it all and, and do a whole bunch of analysis and, 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 and kind of try and correlate, you know, environmental conditions to yield and, uh, spacing to yield and, and, and potency and, you know, the different irrigation strategies to yield and potency and basically everything Brandon was saying of, you know, THC, terpenes, potency, um, and just uh, I, I noticed a trend, which is the the first time we grow something, we get one number, and then you know after three or four grows, we see a steady increase in yield until we eventually taper off. But just that that you know once we give it to our cultivation team and they have a, a couple turns to get their teeth into it, get used to what you know the timing for everything, the the dosing for everything, um, it uh that it, it usually we see a nice we there've been a few cultivars where initially we were like do we keep it you know the pheno didn't yield very well but we did because the other numbers were so great and we see that nice steady increase so it's you know maybe don't give yourself some time with things some you know it might take you a while to get to know the plant and get to know what the plant you know how to best get the best out of that plant um but, uh, you know, you can't always afford to, to wait for that, that kind of stuff. But if you can, you know, give it some time. One of the things that uh, I always recommend, if you have the opportunity to run your pheno hunts from clone, keep the mother stock, but actually take clones and run those, those are going to give you a better representation of what that, uh, what that genetic is going to do as a clone stock. Great piece of advice there. You know, that's, as Danielle was pointing out, I was definitely in my mind thinking that because, yeah, for me, it takes me a few runs to decide whether I want to keep something or not. And it, exactly to both of your points. So Brandon, that was a good little shortcut for the process. Uh, but Danielle, also very important too, because if we just won and done everything, we might be missing something that in a commercial setting is really going to you know, knock it out of the park for us. So maybe, maybe I'm going to switch the question a little bit for you there, Stuart Farms, um, from maybe, well, the, the two might relate, from the thing that you learned last year. Tell us about your biggest challenge last year. What was the one that kept you up at night, uh, made you lose a little bit of sleep, but ultimately you get a smile because you fixed it in the end? What may have been your biggest challenge? And then Shannon, I'll come down and ask you the biggest challenge and Bane as well here in a second. 
Well, I mean, we have a rare problem in the Canadian cannabis industry where we don't have enough weed to sell and our demand strips our our ability to cultivate. And that comes from the smaller facility we built from day one. So we have contract farming agreements with other micro cultivators. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to tie it back to the design uh, conversation a minute ago uh, because of working with multiple contract farmers now where we can step into their farm and they can do everything basically identical to us other than have the fish water as a supplement. So we still defer to living soil, no sprays, no irradiation. They follow our SOPs. We put our genetics into their farms. And, and that's really helpful too, because we get to see how our Britney's frozen lemons is going to express under HPS with the same living soil in his farm because he didn't have LEDs. So we're not getting them to change his lights. We're, we're aligning all the variables as closely as, as, as we can. Um, so, uh, you know, outside of that, you know, having many farming partners is difficult just as a function of any business, right. You know, that's just more people, more, more people to deal with. Uh, it's that, you know, going back to the design phase is that you can build 2,000 square feet of canopy for $300,000 if you bought all the equipment, you know, aggressively and did all the work yourself. HPS lights, no automated irrigation, all this other stuff. You can also build that same 2,000 square feet of canopy for $2 million dollars. Automated irrigation, LED lights, centralized HVAC, right? So both guys have 2,000 square feet of canopy. But if you take decent lights, decent climate change, great genetics, great grow medium, and great standard operating procedures, and, and you know that, and you put them into both facilities the guy in the 300 grand farm is going to come pretty close to the guy in the $2 million farm. So let's, you know, and that's that real, that really sunk in over this last year and, uh, you know, in real time, in real, real, real experience in the real world. Uh, so, you know, all those decisions you make in the early days of building any facility, you know, you want to, you know, no margin, no mission. You want to get to profit as quickly as possible, spend as little money as you can to get going, you know, focus on what really, the, what matters most when you're spending those dollars, right? And it's, it's the, uh, how you're going to grow and what you're going to grow. So. Excellent answer there. And that does, uh, put a lot in perspective too, when it comes to budgeting these types of things. I think when we start dealing with those large numbers, uh, for people, I mean, you're like, yeah, what's an extra 10,000 at this point, you can, you can lose perspective easily. So it's good to hear. And, you know, Shannon, I, I kind of wanted to ask you the same thing. Um, you know, so maybe one of the biggest challenges in the system, whether, uh, well, that could be many different things. What what did you come across last year? Well, <clears throat> thank you. Our biggest challenge um, has been the collapse of our, our the power supply in South Africa. We we what we have what we call load shedding in South Africa, and it's on a daily basis now. And they they take it to different stages, and it's the the, the power company isn't able to supply enough power. To supply the entire country at once, so there's they, they have to switch off parts of the country for longer stages of, of, of periods continuously, and we're on, on to stage six now. 
So we're off for um, 11 and a half hours a day at different stages. So we couldn't, we can't run lights, we can't run uh, heat exchanges and aquaponics because you're just wasting the energy because it heats up for four hours and it's off. So it's, it's pointless. Um, so that's been a big challenge. I, <laughs> I also lost uh, three modules of fish due to breakers being, being worn out by the on and off of load shedding continuously. And uh, that was on Christmas Day. So that was, that was a big uh, setback for, for me and, and the system and obviously the fish and the plants. So it's been very challenging to, to adjust to having no, no energy supply in the country. Um, and it's going to continue this way for a long time, they say. So we're all having to adapt in the country and go to solar, uh, which is another expenditure on, on, on a cannabis farm, which no one needs, because the expenditure of a cannabis farm is, is, is immense. Um, even though we're doing it as cheaply as we can, it's still immense. Um, <clears throat> so we're having to put, put in a lot of money into place in, in, into projects that, that weren't in the budget. Um, so it's, it's a huge setback and it's a huge challenge for aquaponics. Um, we, are the, we are the only um, aquaponics cannabis license in Africa. So I, I really like to, um, to push people onto aquaponics due to the, the, the problems in, in the world and food security. And now we have this power issue. Uh, you know, farming and, and, and the carbon emissions are a big problem in the world. Um, so, you know, the world is changing and we need to change with it. And in Africa, we tend to, we have to. So we, but it's, it's a big expenditure. That, that's, been, that's been our biggest challenge in the last season. And we're in the middle of our summer grow now. Fortunately, it's a summer grow. So we're going, we're going with nature. We have the light. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you almost, it, it sounds like you do almost need to time it and work as much with nature in harmony as you can, because those are unique circumstances. Uh, yes, I know Danielle mentioned generator uh, to save some of those instances, but it's probably hard to run an entire farm on a consistent basis backed off of generators. So, yeah, uh, that that is definitely a unique challenge you're facing there. Um, yes. Yeah. And, you know, Bain, um, I know we're going to talk with you next hour, which is awesome. So I apologize for not throwing all the questions at you because I know we're, we're going to get to some of them in the next hour. But I do want to throw that one at you, though. You know, what is maybe one of the biggest challenges that you faced last year? Uh, no, no, not a problem at all. I'm happy, happy to speak and I don't want to break up this party with so many great minds in it. But um, I would say to answer your question, the biggest problems, uh, and I think some some of the others have already touched on it. It's really uh, matching your genetics and your plants to the environment you're able to provide for them. So whether you're you're indoors or in a hybrid greenhouse or doing it outdoors, it's finding you know performing a, a good sufficient pheno hunt for the different cultivars you want to carry that are going to be marketable, consistent enough to keep going year round. Uh, and then of course you've got you know pest and pathogen resistance that you need to take into consideration and all of those things change from year to year and from season to season so it's really the, the challenge uh at least as far as i see it is finding those genetics and then knowing your plants well enough to work them into the schedule and try to match those up as best as possible so you have the plants doing everything they can uh with the environment you provide them and then being able to you know at the end of the day, bring quality product to market. 
Very good. Very good point. And, and, you know, you mentioned IPM and that was something that um, I was hoping to touch on here. Well, we'll kind of skip over IPM just for plants in general. Um, you know, I think a lot of the, the viewers are familiar with that and there's a lot of great information out there for it. Uh, but Potent Ponix, I want to ask you um, just for myself, um, I don't know the answer. Is is there anything specific as far as IPM when it comes to protecting the fish or protecting the reservoirs? Is there anything that I wouldn't understand coming from soil? Oh yeah, uh, yucca extract and wetting agents are ultra fish lethal. Both of them, uh, as as in general, not not all, um, uh, not everything in those categories is. Aloe vera is a really good one that's fish safe, but um, uh, for the most part, things that fall into that category, you know, uh, are pretty fish lethal when it comes to that. And then just being mindful of oils and things like that, you know, you get too much in the water, the fish are toasted. Um, that's the biggest thing. Okay. Well, yeah, very, <laughs> very good to know. Uh, you don't want to kill off your workers, I guess, for lack of a better term. <laughs> Don't, don't want to do those things. And yes, you know, the yucca, the extracts, soap nuts, these types of things I hear thrown around frequently in um, kind of living soil organic situations. So not going to apply in the aquaponics world. And if you're outdoors and watering to runoff, consider your sources because uh, I'll save the speech here, but it's all about the fishes, guys. Um, <laughs> real, real quick uh, to, to wrap it up. Um, you, you all have a lot of excellent experience here. Um, let's pretend I was, let's pretend I was a Chad and uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm paying all you guys as a consultant. What would be one good tip? We'll lightning round this one, but what's one good tip you could give anybody that's interested in doing aquaponics on a commercial scale? And I guess we'll just go around here in that same order. Stuart Farm, we'll start with you uh, and uh, we'll wrap this one up. Uh, yeah, my, uh, my number one tip would be spend a lot of time making sure your facility design has great workflow, operational workflow, and that you're setting yourself up good operationally for cleaning. And also think about that when you're doing the design. Design for easily cleanable facility and that can come right down to your irrigation choices and you're a fancy you might think an irrigation system is going to save you a bunch of money but maybe it's 10 times the cleaning and and 10 times less without it so that, that would be my what i'd want to leave you with excellent there actionable advice easy to understand uh brandon how about you uh, what would be a good piece of advice for aspiring aquaponic growers I would say anybody uh, that's starting a business, not just aquaponics, but uh, any if you're doing any type of facility design, business design, anything, itemize all your expenses. Make sure that you have everything that you need for success already drawn out, like on a map, and make a plan. Um, give yourself, uh, especially with cannabis, give yourself also room for three months of operating capital plus ten percent. When you when you're writing those uh, financials up and itemizing all that stuff, so that way that you know you have a little bit of extra for any of the miscellaneous items that you might not have thought of, and you have all of the things planned out for those three uh, additional or four additional months uh, where you have a sellable product. 
man, the, the things that only come with experience. That's awesome. I appreciate that answer. Uh, and Bane, we'll, we'll come back to you here. Uh, a tip and trick for anybody uh, aspiring to uh, run this sort of system? I think these guys hit, hit it pretty on the head. Uh, the planning is everything. Uh, with aquaponics especially, uh, and really with any business venture you're trying to do, uh, research as much as you possibly can. Don't skimp on the, the planning, everything from, you know, what plants do you want to grow? How are you going to feed them? But uh, like was said already, system design, how are people going to move through this facility? Uh, don't cut the walkways short because the guy who's going to be moving up and down the rows is going to be cursing your name every day if you do. Uh, make sure it's easy to clean. Uh, and then, like you said, with the budget, add up everything you could possibly imagine every, ever needing double it because there's going to be stuff you forget and then you got to have enough money to keep everybody paid uh keep all those valuable team members around uh that's a critical thing i think a lot of people skimp on this isn't unskilled labor you need people who really care and who are knowledgeable and are going to pay attention to the little things and put the elbow grease in to get it as clean as it can possibly be that's the kind of stuff that makes or breaks a large-scale farm in my mind like a car like a house like anything don't let it start slipping because it will reach a point of no return almost so yeah start early start now keep those things clean and maintained uh danielle um that sounds like something that would probably come out of your mouth um <laughs> what, what else can you add to this this conversation um for someone starting out uh aquaponics it's a living system it takes a while to to become mature. It's, I mean, I can't pinpoint exactly when I'd say our system had fully matured, but I would, everything just suddenly got easier about a year in. You know, all the water parameters were stable. There's never any hiccups in the, you know, the, so it, especially with your biofilter, you know, it's, it's going to take, everybody says, oh, you can put this in. It almost always takes about two months before your your you know microbes become really established and your numbers start coming down and it becomes fish safe if you buy all the fish if you cram 60 kilograms per meter cubed in your tank on day one all of your fish are going to die from ammonia poisoning because <laughs> um, that biofilter even if in a year you can handle that much your biofilter can't can't keep up from a run and you can maybe take you know, inoculated bio beads from someone else. But that brings us to the second point, which is an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Do not bring anything in. If you have a nice, brand new, pristine, clean facility, do not bring anything in through your doors that you cannot 100% guarantee doesn't have a nasty little friend coming in with it. Um, because it's way harder to get something out than it is to keep something out. Amen to that. <laughs> Amen to that. Uh, Shannon, how about yourself? You know, again, you, you've got some unique circumstances down there dealing with the power. Um, what, what are some of the tips and tricks that have gotten you through? Well, the best advice I can give anybody thinking about commercial aquaponics is to make sure that the, the your system design is correct and balanced and, and properly in tune. That's, that's the biggest thing because to chase chase problem design faults after the fact is a, a huge problem. And the second one is to do Stephen's um, masterclass course of cannabis and of 
masterclass aquaponics, but it does it's cannabis related, but it, it covers it covers broad spectrum aquaponics. And what I learned from his course has taken me five levels up to where I was before in aquaponic growing. And I, and I, I was one of the better aquaponic growers in, in South Africa on, on food at that time. What I learned from that course is, is, is immense. And it's, 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 it goes from beginning to end and it, it, it's vertical. So it's, a, it's a, a really, really good course for any aquaponic grower from start to finish. It's, it's the best thing I've ever done for, for my, my aquaponic growing future. It's a good tip there. Um, you can spend, you know, endless hours and days searching around the internet, or you could go to a place where it's been compiled. And, you know, Potent Ponics, you have definitely done that with your courses and through this conference. I appreciate that, uh, you know, helps me and other people, not necessarily on the commercial scale, those people too, obviously, but, you know, for the home grower, it gives us some things to think about, some things to consider. So we'll end it with you here. I want to end it with maybe one of your tips and tricks that you can offer to uh, everybody interested in this, in this world of growing. First off, thanks, Shannon, for the kind words. Much appreciated. Um, but uh, when it comes to just basic stuff, um, just like they're saying, if it's not easy to clean, the workers are going to start to slack on it. And if it's not efficient for them to do, then it's going to, if it's a pain in their ass, then they're not going to do it exactly the way you want it every time. So uh, thinking about that when you're designing your SOPs and making it like not overly difficult to follow um, can, can really help increase results. The other thing is stick to either the, the soil water-based systems or the dual root zone systems. Again, it gives you the most flexibility until you really get used to the, the systems and you really get used to the rest of it. And, and just like other people were saying earlier, stick to sloppy and coy when you when you when you get started. You can get fancy with it afterwards, but don't burn a ton of cash on some fancy fish until you have everything else done. Like once you've done your second or third flower run, you got everything else going. Cool. Replace the koi with yellow perch or whatever you want to do to get fancy, but don't try to do too many things that you're not really familiar with off the bat. I think that's the, one of the biggest mistakes I see aside from people not researching their market is just totally trying to take on too much and trying to learn like 12 new things that they have no idea about all at once. No, nobody can do that, right? You got to be realistic about how much you can intake and teach with yourself within a month. Each month you can only intake so much new knowledge, right? And I think a lot of people overwhelm themselves too, trying to do the business side of it and the aquaculture side of it and the fish side of it. And now they want to do all difficult fish. You know, it's like, dude, chill out, just start off with the koi, then get fancy later. And, you know, stick with the soil-based systems. Then you want to go something crazy, cool, do that later, but get get money coming in the door and then worry about getting fancy uh, um, uh, and not, not being as picky with phenos. I think people hold on to stuff because they got it from their dad, friend's dad who like, used to smoke them out when they were 18 or something and, and it's like a horrible strain that like doesn't yield well but it has some weird sentimental value like you gotta trash that crap and just stick to what's going to actually produce in your farm and not waste time and energy and money on cultivars that are not going to get money coming back in the door yeah and that's getting down to the reality of it you know it's all we all have a dream uh of what we would love it to be, but at the end of the day, we need to be real. And that is one of those real decisions. Uh, Cost-effective, space-effective, time-effective, all of those things add up. But I want to thank everybody for joining us on the panel. And you were going to say something there, Stuart Farms? Oh, I was just saying oh. thanks. Thanks for having me. I was yeah. unmuting to say goodbye. 
<laughs> well, yes, let's let's do that. I uh, appreciate that. Uh, again, everybody, thank you for your time. Uh, this has been awesome. This has been fun for me. This feels like such a freaking tease because I could go on for hours with all of you. But uh, yeah, if we can, um, you know, Bane is going to continue to join us, but let's just go around the horn real quick and uh, let people know where they can find you. So we'll start with you there. Uh, you can find uh, Stuart Farms at Stuart Farms Life. L-I-F-E, Stuart Farms Life on Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and myself at Tanner Stewart Life uh, on those same uh, platforms, and we'd appreciate a follow. Awesome. And uh, how about you, Brandon? Where where can people find you and find some of the Bokashi Earthworks? So you can find uh, my main page on Instagram at rust, R-U-S-T dot Brandon. Uh, also, Bokashi Earthworks, all one word. Um, and then uh bokashi earthworks.com and then you can always hit me hit us up if you guys are using products or have questions or inquiries about soil all that good stuff awesome uh, brennan will be talking tomorrow as well at uh uh noon pst sorry i have to look at the schedule same, same bat time, same bat channel, different bat day. So <laughs> be back tomorrow uh, for Brandon Rust. I'll be watching that as well. Uh, Danielle, uh, thank you again. It's been a pleasure. Good luck on the PhD. Hopefully uh, the fish the fish, fish cooperate for you. But where, where can people find you and, and learn more about the adventure? Uh, so uh, I'm mostly on LinkedIn, but for, for Aqualitas, uh, it's at Aqualitas Inc. or at reef.organic or aqualitas.ca or reeforganic.com. And Perfect. thanks for having me. This was fun. Good. Thank you. My pleasure. Shannon, uh, let's wrap that up or wrap it up with you. Where, where can people find you and maybe uh, just learn more about what you're doing in that area? That's pretty awesome. Thank you, Chad. Um, uh, people can on Instagram, it's uh, sweetwaters underscore aquaponics and or Shannon, Shannon at sweetwaters aquaponics.ca.za. And thank you very much, Chad. It's been wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure to be a host. Potent Ponics, thanks for bringing me in to talk with these fine people today. Uh, looks like this section of the third annual aquaponics cannabis conference is coming to an end do you, do you want to take it away and lead uh, into the next hour um, how do uh how do people find you there chad oh well, thank you yeah i do uh have a website the chadwestport.com uh, but probably to keep up to date with what i'm doing and working on instagram is a great place so chad.westport you can find me there appreciate it oh and i'm gonna plug dope history real quick dopehistory.com it's a new project that I've been working on, recounting the history of cannabis. So plug, there we go. <laughs> Thank you very much, Potent Phonics. You guys have a wonderful day. I appreciate all your time. Thanks for coming. And thank you all the wonderful panelists, Brandon and um, Tanner and Bain and Danielle Link and Shannon. Thank you all for joining us today. All right. Have a good day, everybody. Please support these companies. They took the time to educate us during this conference. If you're looking for more education on aquaponic cannabis, please consider the aquaponic cannabis masterclass at apmjclass.com featuring over seven days of 
in-depth, hands-on educational content with Marty Waddell and Stephen Reisner as your guides through the aquaponic cannabis universe. We'll cover everything from construction of large commercial facilities, uh, home size systems, backyard systems, nutrients, pest control, diseases, everything you can think of, and, uh, and so much more. So be sure to check that out at apmjclass.com. And if you're looking for aquaponic cannabis or living soil uh, pest control courses, please check out uh, thepestclass.com where we have a huge in-depth course on pest control, how to make your own um, biocontrols, as well as in-depth guides and identification guides for a whole slew of different pests that you might encounter in your aquaponics garden. And it's not strictly just geared towards cannabis, uh, it's also geared towards vegetables as well. So be sure to check that out if it's something you think you might need to improve in your education.